Hi everyone, I'm Lucas Mack and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. Today, I am honored to bring Chris Widener on the show today. He's an international public speaker, one of the most sought after public speakers. He's written 20 books. He's a business mentor, coach, and an incredibly inspiring person. And I am honored to have Chris on the show today. Chris, thank you for joining the Golden Rule Revolution. Lucas, thanks for having me. So tell us, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Seattle area. So uh, you and I have some, uh, some interesting back. Did you grow up in the Seattle area? Yeah, I grew up uh, Everett, Marysville area, and then oh, okay. um, moved to Seattle and went to the UW. And, and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I grew up all around the Seattle area. Went to high school, Mount Si High School out in Snoqualmie. Wow. Uh, that's where I graduated uh, probably before you were born. Um, <laughs> but uh, two years ago, I said to myself, when I turned 50, I said, 50 years in the rain is enough, and I moved to Scottsdale. Smart. Smart man. This is why, <laughs> see the wisdom that you bring to this. Every now and then I call my friends in Seattle. I say, hey, is it raining up there? And they go, oh, yeah. And I say, good. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, uh, I am glad. I've watched, uh, gosh, been watching a lot of your videos. Um, your, what you talk about is it's inspiring. And it's a message that people need to hear more of, especially with um, – the suicide rate being up as high as it is right now and all the, all the negativity that's out there. Here you are cutting through that with your messaging. How did you, before we get into what you're doing now, how, tell me about growing up and how did you develop this inspirational, motivating outlook on life? This is interesting because um, just yesterday and, and a lot recently, people have been saying, you are the most positive person I know. Nothing shakes you. You know, you're always happy. Uh, my podcast partner said it to me yesterday, and I, I take that as the highest compliment. Mm. And it's funny because you would think based on my history, my life history, that I'd be sort of depressed. Um, my, uh, my upbringing was not good. My dad died when I was four. Mm. Uh, that sent us into sort of a downward spiral. I lived in 28 homes. I went to 11 different schools. I was shipped off to live with relatives twice, started drugs in the sixth grade, did opium for the first time in the eighth grade, made most of my money growing up betting the horses at a horse track that's no longer in Seattle called Long Acres. Long Acres. Uh, I climbed down there. And so you kind of get this idea I was going in the wrong direction. Um, and, uh, 10th grade year of high school, I had, uh, 47 written referrals to the principal's office. Mm. Um, so just went in the wrong direction. Finally got my life figured out, uh, turned it around, eked into college, uh, coming out of high school. I was, as my, my mentor Zig Ziglar used to say, I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. <laughs> and, uh, I got into a college where the primary requirement to get into the college was that the check cleared. Um, so I got into that college because uh, I met the requirement, the check cleared. Um, and then I got a degree in youth and family work. Uh, I was going to go and I was going to go and help teenagers. Uh, I spent three years helping teenagers uh, until I realized I didn't like teenagers. So, um, I got out of that business and I've been speaking since 1988 when I graduated uh, college, speaking to high school, summer camps, uh, you know, whatever. And, and I guess I, I just learned resilience. And I re learned that uh, no matter what happens, it really doesn't keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and that life always goes on. I mean, I've, I've made millions, I've lost millions. And one thing I realize is, is that even in the worst 
times. I mean, look at me, Lucas. I've never missed a meal, right? <laughs> so I'm kind of like, I'm like, you know what? Life goes on. Yeah. Uh, it's always good. You can always find something good. And, and that's my perspective on life. Growing up in that, I mean, that's a lot of trauma experienced as a child. And, and did you, I have a, here, here's the question. In that, it makes you hyper aware. I do know it makes you hyper observant of everyone else and you're constantly scanning. What did you learn about people and what did you learn about yourself now in hindsight during those years? Yeah. So it, um, as you look back, you know, going to 11 different schools, uh, and that includes college, um, but, you know, changing schools every 18 months or so. My mom became a house flipper. And uh, that's how we sort of made money. I don't know why she didn't flip houses in the same school district. So I could have just stayed at the same schools. But I was pulled out and sent and I had to walk into a whole new group of, of people and, and engage. Or the other choice could be that you just become a wallflower and you, you, know, you become a loner or whatever. So you know, I realized that you have a choice. And maybe at that point, I didn't have a cognitive realization of that. But I think at a subconscious level, you know, it's sink or swim, right? And I decided yeah. to swim. And I think that that's one thing I learned about myself. Um, I can go into new situations, don't have a problem with it. I can lose something like that and just pick right up with something else. So that was good for me, I think. Um, what I learned about people is, is that um, uh, people are pretty welcoming if you approach them in the right way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you, what you give, you get. And so if you come in and you're open and you're friendly and you're engaging, they'll be open and friendly and engaging back. If you view people with suspicion and, you know, reticence and those kinds of things, probably going to get suspicion and reticence back. And so I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned going through that turmoil was that you get what you give. And again, I, I probably wasn't cognizant of it um, as, a, as a child, right. um, but I think I was learning it anyway, experientially and at a subconscious level. So what was your first speaking event like? I mean, when did you first decide, all right, you have this opportunity to speak and you step in front of people to deliver a message. Boy, my first speaking engagement, I, I don't even know what my first speaking engagement was, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of my very first speaking engagements. Um, uh, I spoke to a group of, uh, I think it was junior hires and it was like 400 of them at a retreat in Pennsylvania. And they had asked me um, to, to come up with a a title, you know, and, and it was always, uh, one of the things I realized was, was that it's all about marketing, right? Yeah. And so what I realized was, was that all the topics were usually like, how to achieve a positive self-esteem. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, you know, a 13 year old doesn't care about how to achieve a positive self-esteem. So I uh, titled mine, uh, how to be happy, even with a big zit in the middle of your forehead. That was the title <laughs> of my speech. Now, interestingly, there were 400 kids at this camp and they broke up into sessions. So I had a session and I think I had 390 of the 400. <laughs> Not really bad for the other speakers because, you know, they were doing stuff like, you know, seven steps to a happy you or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so I did, uh, I did how to be happy even with a big giant zit in the middle of your forehead. Ironically, or perhaps serendipitously, I don't ever get zits. I mean, maybe <laughs> yeah. one a year, I'll get a pimple. Yeah. I kid you not, Lucas, right there, 
<laughs> right great. there. Big giant third eyeball. I was thinking actually about putting some eyeshadow and some <laughs> lashes That's on good. it. Yeah. And so it was really actually kind of, it was almost like God was saying, all right, you want to talk about how to be happy? Let's see you give a speech to 400 junior hires with a giant third eyeball in the middle That's of your career. It's awesome. And that was one of the first ones I can remember. How, so being mentored by Zig Ziglar, I mean, that's like being, that's like a basketball player being mentored by Michael Jordan or, I mean, how did you get into it's, that? It, well, I'll tell you, I always say this. The first day I walked into studio with him, I had a television show with Zig. In fact, you can still see him on YouTube. Just Google uh, Zig Ziglar, Chris Widener, True Performance on YouTube wow. and or search on YouTube. And you can see, I think there's 10 or 12 episodes up there. And I remember the first time I ever walked into the studio, I felt like a, a priest who'd been called to the Vatican to serve communion with the Pope. Wow. Yeah, right? you know, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, the hallelujah chorus went off. Yeah. Zig is the greatest man I ever met. Um, uh, just a kind man, same man on stage as off stage. Um, just a super incredible guy, positive. Uh, mm. Loved him to death. His son Tom is still a good friend of mine. Mm. Um, I ended up working with Zig. It's kind of interesting. I ended up starting out working with a guy named John Maxwell. Mm. And I ghost wrote for John for about 18 months. I wrote his syndicated column in the, in the business journals. Wow. I got a call from a guy named Jim Rohn. And a lot of people don't know who Jim is, but very, very influential speaker over the last 40 years. Yes. Tony Robbins, his first job. Most people don't know that at 17, Tony got into the personal development world by selling Jim Rohn seminars. Wow. And, uh, and so um, they asked me to ghostwrite. I said, nah, I don't want to ghostwrite, but I'll co-write. I ended up writing the Jim Rohn One Year Success Plan and then the book 12 Pillars, which has sold a million copies. And then uh, I had a business selling through Costco. I was selling fifty to 75,000 boxes a month of personal development audios. Um, and we would uh, license other people's audio content, put it into big box sets of 14 CDs, one DVD, and we'd sell them through Costco and Sam's Club. Um, leadership, sales success, stuff like that. And Zig was in every box. So we had audio programs from Zig. We licensed from Zig. That's how I ended up in a business relationship with him. And then I had a television show down in Dallas, and uh, the network asked Zig to do a show. And Zig was getting older, and he told his son, Tom, uh, I don't really want to carry this all by myself. Why don't we get a co-host? And he said, well, Chris, the guy that does the Costco business, uh, he already has a show on the network. He's down here anyway. Why don't we ask him? So they asked me, and uh, it was a great, great blessing for me to be able Amazing. to do that. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it was fun. Amazing, man. It's, uh, it's cool to see the lineage of, like, I look at you as a, the torchbearer of this, this message that's so important. And, and the, it's, I, I don't even think the personal, de- the term personal development kind of puts a cloud over the clarity of the message sometimes. Like, people will categorize, like, oh, Tony Robbins is in this camp, or you, you're speaking, it's in this camp. But, the message that you deliver is a human message that I think every person on planet earth craves to hear. Yeah. And, um, so it's incredible that you're, you're the torchbearer essentially of the, the lineage of that. Yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, it's great to have that lineage. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, I get mentioned in the same breath with those guys now when people read my resume and stuff, but I still got about 20, 20 more years to work to get into that level. Those guys had a tremendous impact on so many tens of millions of people. And then, and then through, you know, when you trace a lineage, uh, you know, through a guy like Tony Robbins, you're, you're talking hundreds of millions of people. And so oftentimes it's not just the work you do, but it's the work your disciples do and the people who follow you do and the people who you mentored what they yeah. do. Yeah. Amazing. Tell me about, um, 
the books that you've written? Because I, I mean, twenty books. That's yeah. That's some serious words put to paper. Over that includes years. me books, uh, of course. But uh, I think I think hard copies. It's fourteen, fifteen, something like that. Uh, my best-selling book is a book called The Angel Inside. Uh, it's based in Florence, Italy, and it's subtitled Michelangelo's Secrets for Following Your Passion and Finding the Work You Love. I write stories. Mm. Uh, I write short little books. I'll show you one here. This is a, a book called The Art of Influence, and they're, they're small. Um, they're, not, uh, they're not giant. I tell people, I tell people that uh, nobody's going to accuse me of having gone to MIT after reading one of my books. They're simple. They're stories. They're 20,000 words. They usually have four to ten points. Angel Inside is my favorite book. Uh, Art of Influence is a book that has taken me all over the world because that's what a lot of businesses want to hear. Uh, I've spoken on every continent except Antarctica and South America. Wow. Um, uh, but, uh, and that's the book that I, I speak on. But Angel Inside is the book that I love. Mm. It's about a 28-year-old kid who's on a two-week vacation in Europe uh, to find himself. He's been in business for six years, doesn't really like being in business, wants to be more of a creative type. So um, he goes to Europe, and the whole book takes place in his last afternoon of his vacation. He's sitting in Florence, Italy, and a little old Italian man walks up to him and starts talking to him. And it's the afternoon and dinner that they spend together, um, learning from the life of Michelangelo and, of course, visiting the David and the story of the creation of the David. And I weave in some of the actual stories of David from the Bible. And mm. so it's, it's history, it's art, it's spirituality, it's self-help. Um, that's the book that people tell me changed their life. And mm. I like all of my books. But Angel Inside is the book I love. And uh, it ended up, it was uh, number two on the Wall Street Journal, number seven on the New York Times, and uh, it ended up number three on Amazon, all of Amazon. And, uh, and I, I feel good with number three because number one, when it was released, number one was the pre-release of Harry Potter. Wow. And it was the, number two was the uh, lost book of J.R.R. Tolkien that his grandson found in his attic after his grandpa died. Wow. So I figure if I'm going to be number three, it may as well be to the greatest, best <laughs> yeah. fiction series of all time and one of the greatest authors of all time. I'll take That's number right. three. That's amazing. That's the lineage. There you go. You're in that lineage as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, where have you, how have you developed your worldview going through all that you've gone through? And now, I mean, you're, you, you're bringing in an aggregate of a lot of experience, a lot of teaching, a lot of knowledge. I mean, even just describing the angel inside, that's, those, those are a lot of source points to bring in that. How have you developed your personal journey? Yeah, so I told you I had a terrible upbringing. I was uh, my my dad died. My brother was 13 years older than me. Married a woman who didn't like my mother, so I hardly ever saw him. Mm -hmm. uh, one grandpa ran away, and I never. Met, I think I met him one time my entire life. The other grandpa died when I was a kid. You know, I, I just didn't have many male role models, and so junior year of high school, I ended up with a youth minister at a local Lutheran church in North Bend. Mm. Uh, I was spending the, uh, spending the night with my best friend, my biggest pot smoking buddy. Yeah. Sunday morning, his mom walks in, busts down the door and says, we're going to Sunday school. And I literally, Lucas, had no clue what a Sunday school was. I'm like, who would go to school on Sunday? And then I thought, <laughs> I've tried everything else. Fine, I'll go try it. Ended up, there was this good old boy from Montana. Mm. And uh, he was a real butt kicker, both literally and figuratively. Mm. And he was great for me at the time because he gave me a perspective on God, which gave me a perspective that I am uh, part of a bigger picture. Mm. And he also was just a, a role model as a man. 
And, uh, you, you know, and so he kicked me in the butt and told me you're going nowhere fast. And, and so that was the beginning of my worldview. I call my worldview a biblical worldview in that, um, you, you know, the premise of, of the Bible and the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Christ are, are foremost and, and uh, really what I live out of um, and try to make the core of who I am. And then, of course, I think common sense is a big part of my worldview. There's things that work and things that don't work. Hmm. And so I try to stick with the things that work. And, um, you know, uh, the golden rule is amazing. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I, one of the most fascinating things to me about the golden rule um, is that lots of people had used a similar uh, saying to the golden rule. Other religions, hmm. historically, people said it hundreds of years before Jesus but he was the first one to put it on the positive. Yes. So traditionally, yes. it had always been, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you or some right. form of that. Exactly. He was the first one that basically turned it proactive and said, don't just sit back and make sure nobody does anything wrong. Actually go out and do to other people what you'd like them to do. And so I consider that a, a core of my, of my uh, worldview. That's uh, and beautiful. informed the way that I live my life is it's not just, staying, you know, aside, uh, standing aside, um, but it's actually going out. You know, Google famously has their, their uh, term, do no evil, I think is, yeah. is sort of their, their thing. Right. Um, what if you turn that positively and said, do lots of good? Right. You know, that's our motto. Let's do lots of good. Let's just not, let's not just do no evil. Let's actually right. go do lots of good. And so that informs my, my worldview as well. That's cool. That I talked about, uh, yeah, Hillel the elder said, that which you deem hateful unto yourself, do not do unto another. Mm. He was the great rabbi who lived 30 years before Jesus actually entered the scene. And he said, that's the whole summary of the Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and live. And right. then you have Jesus coming and saying, do. And I think it's a beautiful balance to say, we have to check what we don't want to done and we also have to know what we do want done because you can't live in one or the, just one or the other and um that's beautiful so you i mean everyone uh, i'll put your website in the show notes and and um people will check it out on your site there's a lot you have a lot going on you're doing a lot you're speaking you're 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 a content generating machine yeah. um what are you most excited about um right now what you're doing well, speaking of being a content generating machine, Lucas, I literally just published it uh, today. The last six months, I've been working on the Chris Widener Speakers Academy because every week I get somebody who says, I want to be a speaker. I want to write a book. I want to have a podcast. I want to you know, help other people. And so um, for the last six months, I've been interviewing and then editing uh, 45 other speakers. So between myself and the others, there's 46 of us and we've done a billion dollars in the speaking business. Wow. And, and, uh, and so it's really not just the speaking business. It's the infopreneur business. It's, it's whether you're writing a book or giving speeches or online courses or podcasting. And I went to these 45 speakers, none of whom are famous, uh, before they became speaker. Every single one of them started out giving free speeches, myself included. And we teach everything from positioning and branding to how to sell yourself, to how to build your website, to what even down to what microphones to use for your podcast. 
Uh, I interviewed speakers, booking agents, and meeting planners. I mean, it's literally the most comprehensive course for anybody that would like to uh, to become a speaker. And uh, that took me a long time. And so, you know, for people who um, say, you know what, I'd like to become a speaker and tell my story and give my information out. Or I think even for professionals who say, I'm never going to go be a full-time speaker. They might be a real estate agent, a, a, a financial planner. Um, you know, life insurance, whatever, they can write a book and start giving local speeches and it positions them as an expert. So next time somebody's looking for someone like that, they go, I'm going to go with that guy I heard speak at Kiwanis. He's got that book and he's probably the guy that should sell our house. So um, it's, it's great. It's, uh, it's available actually starting today, right? Literally right before I got on this, I was doing all the first postings and uh, people can find it at Widener Academy. That's W-I-D-E-N-E-R academy.com. And if they use the promo code SAVE10, all one word, S-A-V-E-1-0, um, that'll save them 10% off of the price of the, uh, of the academy. But I'd love to help people that way if they want to get their story out. Everybody has a story. Everybody has wisdom that they've learned from their experiences. And I think we need more speakers, not less. Hmm, that's awesome. Well, I will sign up for that. Uh, as soon as we get off, that's, that's cool. You said, um, one of the videos on, on YouTube might be on, on your website. I don't recall where, where I saw it, but you know, talk about like Jim Rome famously said, you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with and you talk about that. Yeah. What, this is something that I've been just on my own personal journey you know, really observing the five people that I spend the most time or the people that are closest to me. And I just listened to uh, Kevin Hart on Joe Rogan's podcast and he says oh, yeah. he has three people closest. I mean, they, yep. how, I have two questions around this and I'm glad we're talking. Um, why do you think people choose certain people? Even if it's in the negative or pot, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Why is that? So in, in Jim Rohn and my book called The 12 Pillars, we talk about uh, three types of associations. And I put everybody into these categories, three associations, expanded associations. Those are the people that you want to expand your interactions with. You, you start going to lunch with them. You get to a book club with them. You go on vacation with them, whatever. You want to expand the amount of time because it's mutually beneficial relationship. Mm. Then you have limited associations. And limited associations are people you really don't want to associate with, but you have to. It's the guy in the cubicle next to you at work. It's your crazy Uncle Joe that you got to see at three holidays a year. Um, you know, whatever it might be. It's people that you're sort of forced into a relationship with, but you don't ever choose to actually go engage further. And then you have disassociations. And disassociations are people you should not spend time with. Um, they're, they're not good for you, whether they get you to do bad things or they uh, are poisonous and toxic in how they speak and that just drags you down. And I say that most people, to, to, to directly answer your question, uh, the people that are in that disassociation that we haven't disassociated with are typically friends of convenience. Mm. They were our buddy in high school or college or they were the first person we met at the new job or whatever it is. And we fall into, it's convenient to be their friends. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's easy enough to do that because cultivating and developing, creating, developing, cultivating new relationships is hard. It requires time. It requires uh, personal transparency, authenticity, yeah. opening yourself up, vulnerability. Creating a relationship like that is actually work. 
once you fall into an, an okay, easy relationship, unless you're purposeful about analyzing it and saying, I just shouldn't spend a lot of time with this person anymore, and then willing to actually cut it off and move forward, you're just going to end up in the same relationships. You know, you'll always do what you've always done. And of course, you'll always get what you always got. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's exactly what I was looking for. That's really good. <laughs> That's really good. Um, so you have been doing this for a while now. You, you have definitely, you know, a breadth of work and history to look back on. What's, what's next? What are you hoping to achieve? What's driving you um, for your next chapter? I think legacy. I'm doing a lot more coaching now. I want to do coaching. Um, you know, I'm still doing a bunch of speaking engagements and, and those are fun. Um, they pay very well. Um, but um, I like working with younger guys. I mean, um, I, it's kind of what I wish I'd have had. I was able to work with Jim and Zig and, and John, but it wasn't like a true formal mentoring, um, mm-hmm. you know, that took place. You know, we would give speeches together or write together or we'd see each other at the office or at the studio but it wasn't like they were going out and sort of pouring their wisdom into me or anything like that so I have a coaching program uh, that people um, can sign up for I keep it sort of limited but uh, I like to work with people who are especially younger because I feel like I can cut years off of their their learning curve um, in terms of mistakes they they uh, might make or things they just need to learn. I used to joke that I wanted to start a coaching program called Dr. No. And all you do, you don't pay me anything until I help you. And what you do is you call me up and you say, hey, this guy pitched me on this new deal and it's $10,000. And I say, no. And they give me $5,000 and they save $5,000. They actually don't do it and they save $5,000. That's good. because there's just so much baloney out there and yeah. people trying to take advantage of people and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, no, if people want to go to widenercoaching.com, they can go to widenercoaching.com and, and tell them a little bit more about how I work with people uh, personally, one-on-one. It's not, a, it's not a, somebody that works for me. We actually, I never take more than about 10 clients at a time so that I can give personal one-on-one coaching uh, with people. Awesome. Um, the Golden Rule Revolution, about treating people like people and nothing less. Anything you want to leave us with today in regards to humanity and, and a message you want to deliver to the audience? Yeah, you know, I always tell people, think big. Um, it's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. And because if you're going to be thinking, you may as well think big. So if you say, I want to help people, think about how you can help people in a big way. Not just think about how you can help people in a small way. Uh, You know, if you're going to help, if you say, I want to help five people, why not help 10 people? Why not double it? If you say, I want to build an organization that helps a thousand people, why not say, I'm going to build an organization that helps 10,000 people? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to feed a thousand people a year. Why not say, I'm going to feed 10,000 people a year? Mm -hmm. Um, And people say, well, what if you don't hit it? That's a big goal. Okay, so let's say you only get to six, 6,000 people. You're still 600% over the thousand people you would have set your goal at. And, uh, and I just, I've always told people that, um, you know, it's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. And I've seen that play out over and over and over in my life. Um, you know, just to don't play small, play big. Everybody else is playing small. You go think big. We need big thinkers. That's good. Chris, thanks for being on today, man. I'm really honored that you, uh, took the time and I'm looking forward to connecting with you more down the road. 
Awesome. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It was such a pleasure having Chris on. Think big. Think bigger. We can make the impact that we truly want to see in this world when we think big, when we go out and do unto others as we would have them do unto us and don't do unto others what we would not want done unto us. It works both ways. As always, thank you for listening to The Golden Rule Revolution. I am committed to seeing people treat people like people and nothing less. So if you like this podcast, I ask you, podcast, I ask you to share it, download it, subscribe, like it, rate it, get the word out because this is a movement and we are moving towards making a more positive ripple effect in this world. I'm Lucas Mack. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you on the next episode.